0: Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin and how did they end? Let's find out on episode 64 Sargon's Grand Adventure. Sargon, Previously on Fan of History, Sargon II tried to reclaim the empire of Tiglath-Pileser III, fighting several enemies. Noteworthy among those were Marduk-Balodon of Babylonia, King Midas of Phrygia, and King Rusa of Urartu. Rusa is spreading his influence in the lands of the Mania and the Medians. Sargon has to go east to counteract this. Dan, what is going on now? Hi there! Before we talk about
2: Sargon's grand adventure, we have to talk about Patreon at patreon.com slash fanofhistory. You can support this show, and if we hit uh, $30, we will continue past 71 BC and the destruction of Sennacherib, and we are getting really close to that now. We are in the 710s now, and, so, uh, and we are currently at $27, so, oh, so close. three more dollars. I also so would like to thank, take this opportunity to thank Nicholas Barton, who is our newest patron. Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you very much, sir. But, okay, so the king of the week is definitely Sargon the second. This episode, last episode, next episode, Sargon. It's the Sargon the second
0: saga right now. Brennan, what yes. do you think of Sargon the second so far? So far, Sargon is ambitious, seems very, he sure is. Oh, yeah, seems very cunning. Um. Is playing the system to his advantage better than a lot of the Kings we've seen so far a lot of the Kings we've seen are good at you know they were kind of born out uh, yeah, born into power or well they didn't have to seize it so much and already having that power and using it some of them have done great things but Sargon the has made himself powerful and continues um, to do so and exert influence. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, no one's really going to question you as long as you're doing great by the country. They're just going <laughs> to kind of go with you. Yep. Yeah. So that that's uh that's what I see so far.
2: I think compared to Ashen Asipal, the II and um, to Tiglath the III, he doesn't seem to. Raised the same respect that sort of people knew that you shouldn't rebel against Ashurnasirpal II and Tiglath-Pileser III, mm-hmm. but Sargon never gets any break. It's like people are <laughs> giving him trouble all the time. Right. But it's fascinating that we know so much about Sargon II that he tells us his story in this in this new way. You can still find it on YouTube, the Sargon II tells his own saga. The video where you get his version of all these events. And it's so colorful compared to all the other Assyrian kings. Uh, But today, we are going to get what no Assyrian king never gave us before. We are going to get a full battle description. Remember, the Assyrians were trying to conceal what they actually did on the battlefield. They they talk about sieges, they talk about massacres, but they never tell us how they fight. But Sargon will, in this very episode...
0: That'll be great. We've we've missed so much detail in all these episodes.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Then we will have to answer the question, do we believe what Sargon II says? But we are now this entire episode will be the year 714 BC. So this all happens in one year. Wow. Um, and it's all in the East. So the overall sit overall situation in the East, to remind we've been talking about this before, but it's all about control of Mania. Mania is a region that I once thought was a kingdom, and it's in some history books it's They tell you it's a kingdom, but it's really made up of a lot of small kingdoms with (laughs) small kings (laughs) that can swear loyalty to Assyria, to the Medes, to themselves, or to Urartu. Um, The clever bet is to swear loyalty to Assyria, then of course. But Urartu is stretched out uh, north of this area and sort of trying to engulf it and take control over it. Um, so the Western Manians are under Assyrian control, the Northern are under Urartian controls, and the Eastern are under Median control, possibly. Um, Urartu controls uh, Karkar and Elippi a bit. Um, while Sargon was, they to control there while Sargon was weak. But in 714, it's time to put all this right. And Sargon II once again gathers the host of Asher, and marches east. And then it comes to Lulumu. Lulumu is is already an Assyrian province. He made it an Assyrian province under uh, one of his earlier campaigns. There's a general inspection of the army and the allies. And then Sargon II marches on towards Sikurtu and Andia. You you might think that this is confusing without the map, but it's confusing with the map as well. <laughs> <laughs> because these place names are hard <laughs> to understand. Right. And along the way, everybody who doesn't want to be the target of this campaign shows up and pays tribute and uh, like, oh Sargon, glad you're back. This is awesome and one of those paying uh, some of these paying tributes are Ulusunu of Uishidish, who we have talked about before. Uh, Bel Apla Idina of Alabria, mm-hmm. who sounds with the name who sounds like a Babylonian king. Right. Uh, also, Elipidan, which he just mentioned, Delta of Ilipis back, claiming that he was never on anybody else's side but Sargon. There are rulers from Persua, the old Persian heartland. The Persians are gone; they went east to uh, avoid Assyria. Uh, there are people from Namri and there are plenty of Medes. But Ulusunu of Uishdish he, um, he has a problem that he likes to bring he likes to bring up to Sargon. <laughs> because he is no longer Ulusun of Uishdish, he's Ulusun who has lost Uishdish and he Uh, Remember this guy, Sargon, he rebelled against Sargon in an early episode, and Sargon uh, pardoned him. Mm -hmm. And now he crawls before Sargon like a dog. And I I tried to find an illustration of this, but there is none. But uh, Ulusunu comes crawling, and he pleads to Sargon that Sargon will take vengeance, Against Rusa the first of Urartu because Ulusun has remained loyal while Sargon was away and Rusa took Uishdish. So the Urartian king invaded and took Uishdish and Ulusun fled for his life and now he wants his country back. Uh, So we have a great party here with all the dignitaries and uh, uh, Sargon records a splendid banquet to celebrate the meeting. And then Sargon agrees to reclaim Uish Dish for King Ulusuno. So, I don't know what Ulusuno does, but Sargon treats him very nicely compared to a lot <laughs> of other people.
0: I was about to say, how, uh, how magnanimous of Sargon. <laughs> and another
2: thing, yeah, nice truly magnanimous. So, this guy knows how to play uh, Sargon. Uh, Sargon also has a lot of spies everywhere. We talked about that before, and scouts, and uh, this intelligence network reports that the Urartian army is expecting this move towards Uisdish, and it has prepared an ambush in the mountains. Uh Uh-oh. Because Rusa wants to take out Sargon once and for all. And uh, this place where they are right now, it's been a, a long march already, so the Assyrian army is already tired. But Sargon's plan is to march extremely quickly, straight into the ambush, and surprise them before they are ready. And uh, we know a lot about this campaign. We actually know so much that I will uh, not cover all of it. Wow. uh, We have a letter from Sargon II talking about all the details of this campaign. And the letter is... uh, written to the god Asher, so Sargon has written a letter to his god about this campaign. And that's of course a a, a PR move. Of course. (laughs) So we have an Assyrian army that's marching extremely quickly into danger, and the Assyrians are tired, hungry, and thirsty. And uh, it kind of works, they arrive, at the site of the Urahtian army before the Urahtians expect them, but the Urahtians have nothing else to do than wait. So they are well rested and well fed, and they are ready to take on the Assyrian royal army. Uh, So Sargon has a dilemma here, and this is the battle account then. Uh, Sargon II arrives at the Urahtian army, he realizes that this situation is fairly bad, he doesn't have a well-rested army. The enemy is well-rested. He can't surrender. He can't retreat, because then he will be pursued by the Oratians. Mm-hmm. So, only one thing remains to do. He, um, he will attack. And, of course, Sargon knows that the uh, Assyrians never lose to the Oratians in uh, on the battlefield. Right. But Uh, The Assyrian army is not as convinced, so they actually refuse to attack. Um, And then Sargon has a big problem. Okay, he can't surrender, he can't flee, he can't attack. And then I'm sure he gives a great speech to his army, but this has not been preserved, so maybe it wasn't that great. (laughs) But he has a personal bodyguard. He has the household cavalry, pretty much. So he says to the army that um, if you are not going to attack the Rochians, I will. I will charge them alone with my bodyguards. <laughs> and he does. So Just runs right out, right towards the other army. Just... Yeah, he just jumps on his horse, tells the most loyal guys to come with him, and then he charges. And he charges straight at the Rochians where King Rusa is like... Hanging around with his bodyguard and not expecting this sort of desperate madman attack. And because the Assyrian army has refused to attack, it's not all even lined up properly yet. And the Assyrian army does not expect Sargon to do this, and the Russian army definitely does not expect him to do that either. So the attack is somewhat successful. And he managed to charge the, exactly where King Rusa is. And then seeing their king doing this crazy deed, the Assyrian army is kind of struck by shame and then sort of comes running after Sargon, hey, wait for us. <laughs> and the Orochians, of course, interpret this as a full charge. Um, and of course, if this is the, true, the truth, then uh, this is the final evidence that Russian soldiers just should not ever stay out in the open when there are Syrians <laughs> near. Uh, Rusa sees this totally insane kamikaze charge from Sargon, and uh, he becomes really scared. And somehow Sargon is still alive and sees Rusa's chariot and directs the charge at the Orochian king. And in the melee, the the horses of Rusa's chariots are slain, and he leaps up on a mare and flees the battlefield. So Rusa rides away on a mare, and this is apparently a gigantic disgrace. You can't ride on mares if you're a king. I have no idea why.
0: So that's, that's a strange taboo.
2: Yes, this is uh, like... Sargon won't stop talking about this fact that <laughs> Rusa rode away on a mare. It's like the talk of the Assyrian dinner parties for years after this. Uh, one of Rusa's allies, King Mitati of Sikirtu, he is caught and executed. And the Roshan army uh, flees in panic. They had all the advantages, but... Once Rusa rides away on this mare, then everything is lost for the Urarthians. Wow. So uh, a rout ensues and uh, <laughs> the Urarthians just flee. And we, we are not in Urarthu. This battle is often depicted as being in Urarthu, but it's still in Mania, right? It was in Huishdish, dish w- which is a Manian province. Right. And um, So there's a rather... Uh, is uh, way to get back to Rartu, but the Rartian army has flees homewards. And Sargon II uh, follows, and he whips the Assyrian army on, like, take all the Rartians. And there's a great chase. Uh, many Rartians are killed, uh, and they even freeze to death in the mountains. They try to run up in the high mountains and uh, can't come down, so they die from cold. Wow, the chase uh, is really long and very detailed in uh, Sargon's letter. Uh, they move into Ratu proper. They they flee all the way past Lake Urmia, the Rolling Sea, this gigantic lake that makes up the border of Ratu, and uh, Rusa gets within distance from his capital Tushpa. But he decides that he can't hold Tushpa against uh, Sargon. So he goes past his capital and flees into the mountains of Raratu proper and hides. Uh, and the Raratian army just disbands and tries to save themselves. Um, here, Sargon encounters Jansu, the king.
1: Ready to pop the question? Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus.com slash acast, code acast.
2: Of Nairi, one of Rusa's vassals, who, who claims that he was never a vassal of Rusa. <laughs> and he's showing up, paying tribute, and joining the chase. He's like, I know where Rusa is hiding. Come with me. And in this letter from Sargon to Asher, he talks a lot about every province he goes through. And you get like a treaty on um, how horses are trained in Ushkaya and how the Urartian waterworks in Ulku work. So you you get almost a novel here about how Urartu is organized. Wow. In the letter. But... um, once Sargon is in southern Urartu then, around Tushpa, he realizes that uh, he can't, he can't pursue Rusa through all of Urartu. That would be too dangerous. So he decides to sack the cities of Urartu. And his army is like, uh, can we go home now? <laughs> Sargon is I want to go back, I want to get Rus, I want to destroy Urartu totally, but he realizes that uh, uh, this is not going to work. He has already pushed the Assyrian army way too hard. So, time to try to get home to Assyria. But, on the way back, in seven, still in 714 BC then, we get a horrible omen. And the Assyrians are, of course, as all ancient people, extremely superstitious. Right. The army is on the way back, and it's near the city of Musasir. Musasir was the ancient religious capital of the Urartian religion. We talked about Musasir many a time. It's ruled by a guy called Ursana. And Musasir is in the border region between Urartu and Assyria. Uh, Musasir has changed sides several times and the last switch was in 720 when Rusa (laughs) conquered it and it swore loyalty to Urartu, Uh, but the main temple of Haldi, formerly the number one god of Urartu, the Urartian war god, his main temple is in Musasir and uh, what happens is that Sargon has a staff of diviners and astrologers with him at all times. Because, as a king, you have to know what the gods want. Uh, And these diviners and astrologers, they start to grumble along with the rest of the army. And on October 24, the 24th of October 714 BC, there is a lunar eclipse. And we can trace this exact date through astronomy. We know the exact date of this event. And a lunar eclipse is a really bad sign. Of course, they they know that this is a bad sign, they have no idea what's happening, but uh, the moon is disappearing behind Earth's shadow. It's really bad. And the astrologers go crazy, they're like, this means death and destruction, this is really bad. And the soldiers are like eyeing their weapons and each other and they're like, maybe this is death and destruction for Sargon. So maybe we have to kill Sargon to prevent its meaning death and destruction for us. But Sargon has a great spin on this. He calls the troops and he says, well, this is a horrible omen. But being the representative of Asher on Earth, I have interpreted this omen. I know exactly what it means. And it means death and destruction for
0: Musasir.
2: The city over there.
0: (laughs) That's the way you spin it. That's how you get results.
2: (laughs) And you can see Xerxes doing exactly this thing 200 centuries later, the Persian king in a a very similar situation when his army is about to cross the Hellespont to conquer Greece. There is an omen like this and he does a similar spin. But Sargon now goes, okay, we have to destroy Musasir and prove the gods right. And the soldiers are like, uh, is that what it means? Oh! (laughs) But uh, Musasir itself, they have uh, succeeded many a time uh, by switching sides. So they are ready to switch sides again. And they they are not very happy about the Assyrian army there and they haven't declared any war against Assyria. They they claim that Rusa just conquered them and uh, uh, this was no fault of theirs. So when the Assyrian army shows up at their gates, they open the gates. So there's no siege. They're like, oh, Sargon, we were waiting. (laughs) Right. But Sargon invades the city. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And thoroughly plunders it. And he tells the army to, like, crush this city. So... um, I don't think there is a general massacre, because the uh, Musasir inhabitants provide no resistance. But the city is entirely looted and uh, made into an Assyrian uh, possession. Uh, meanwhile, another terrible thing happens to King Rus of so. No luck for Rusa, but we'll talk more about this uh, later in this episode and in the next episode. The next episode will be all about the bad things that happened to Rartu. Uh, that Sargon has nothing to do with. But we get these wonderful lists of loot from Musasir because Sargon spins this to no end. He's like, this was an enormous victory and wow, the gods really love me. <laughs> So please tell us some of the stuff that was taken from Musasir.
0: All right. We have, wow. It's it's written down in 50 columns of text. That's incredible. So there's (laughs) 334,000 total objects stolen. (laughs) Amazing. One ton of gold. A ton. well, sweet. Yeah. And five tons of silver. I'm wondering how they even carried it all back. I guess uh, from... There are plenty of guys and animals. Right, as <laughs> I said, they probably stole a whole lot of pack animals, too. Let's see. Uh, dyed vestments and of linen. 293 silver cups. They had daggers of ivory. Weren't daggers used for something? I could have sworn uh, there was some I, kind of importance to daggers. Yeah, of ivory.
2: That sounds
0: useless. <laughs> right. I think it meant... Something to do with trade. I'll have to look into that. Um, Hardwood set in gold, very nice. Ivory wands. Ah, Avadaka Kadarva See, <laughs> twelve silver shields. An ivory bed with a silver mattress that seems uncomfortable, but it's very
1: uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> uh, I think.
2: Uh, remember, they uh, they haven't invented coinage yet so daggers of ivory might be used as a currency
0: yeah i i want to say that i've read about that there were yeah daggers is an ancient form of like trade currency
2: yeah um and then we have the house of weapons then the house of weapons the main temple of the god Kaldi, and this temple is entirely looted Uh, The current House of Weapons that is looted here was probably founded by King Minua of Urartu that we talked about. He ruled Urartu from 810 to 786 BC, so 90-ish years before this. And later Urartian kings had uh, furnished the temple with even more stuff. For a long time Haldi was the supreme god of Urartu, and the attack on and the destruction of the House of Weapons is uh, something that Sargon makes a lot of pictures of. So the, mm-hmm. the walls of the palace at Khorsabad, at dur Sharukin is filled with images from the House of Weapons falling for the Assyrian army. But <laughs> as I said, there wasn't really a battle here. It's just a big theft. Um, we can see on these inscriptions Assyrians carrying off booty And we can also see two scribes and uh, their supervisor who are noting down all the items on a large clay tablet and how they weigh metal artifacts. So this is all very, very thorough. (laughs) And that's the end of Sargon's Grand Adventure. So um, what did you think of his battle description? Do you
0: believe him? I believe it's probably similar to that the the it's it's like those plans in the movies say this plan's just so crazy it might work (laughs) yeah (laughs) but i don't know I i think there's probably some truth in there it's probably a little exaggerated i can't imagine him suicidally running into an opposing army but hey if that's the way he thinks is going to motivate the men, I guess go for it, but um, I, I'm not sure. The, the track record of Assyrian
2: kings are fantastic in battle because they never die in battle. Right. Um, so this might have influenced Sargon's decision, but given what happens to Sargon later, I think there is some credibility to this story. Because Sargon will be the first Assyrian king who actually dies in battle. So he seems to take uh, large personal risks compared to other Assyrian kings. Okay, that makes sense. Um, There is... I found this uh, essay by an author and scholar, Joshua J. Mark, about Sargon's great example and this campaign. Sort of like how you can... Use the wisdom of Sargon in your own personal life. So, would
0: you read uh, Joshua Mark's comment on Sargon? Sure. The difficulty of the Urartu campaign is made clear through Sargon II's letter to Asher, but the obstacles did not deter the king from pursuing his objective. Even when his men refused to fight, Sargon II would not consider surrender or retreat. He took the risk of personally leading those who would follow him into battle, and he won. In his letter to his god, Sargon details the difficulties he had to face in attaining his goal, but he never hints at giving up. His perseverance and courage against all odds illustrates the truth of the sentiment expressed by Walter D. Wintle's poem, Thinking, from which the famous quote attributed to Henry Ford, may have originated, even though Ford may never have actually said it. If you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. Sargon II's resolve provides an example worth following for those in present day who, faced with their own dark times, can still choose to fight against the forces which threaten them and prevail.
2: It's like the height of positive thinking. Oh, yeah. Fight everything you don't like, you will always win.
0: (laughs) Yeah. If you think you can kick the asses of the other army, then you go for it. Just go right into it. Another reason why I kind of believe Sargon's story is that...
2: Think about what would have happened if he had actually surrendered to Urartu.
0: Oh, gosh. No, no, no.
2: (laughs) I, I think he's almost better off dead there, right? because uh, Sennacherib is already in place, Sennacherib is already in the capital, Sennacherib is, has been trained to take over the Empire, so maybe he figured out that either this works or I die a hero and uh, my son can sort of handle matters. Right. That makes
0: sense. He has his fallback plan.
2: We're still not done with 714 BC, because back in Urartu, then, in hiding, Rusa gets this other news. And he kills himself. Uh, Musasir is gone, Uh, Urartu has been plundered, and this other disaster has befallen Urartu. And the powerful kingdom of Sarduri II lies in ruin, and Rusa is all responsible for this ruin. So he kills himself with his sword. And when news of this reaches Sargon, Sargon is uh, uh, proud of himself enough to think that it was all because of Sargon. But I believe that it is this other disaster that Rusa felt that he couldn't come back from. But that's for next episode. <laughs> Rusa is uh, followed on the throne of Rartu by his son, Argishti II. And Argisti had been responsible for a lot of Urartian raids on Assyrian territory, which we haven't heard about from Sargon. <laughs> uh, Argishti will not forgive Sargon for this invasion, but Argishti will not have time to really deal with Sargon and Assyrians because of this other problem. So the assyrian Urartu border will suddenly turn peaceful, and... I'm pretty sure that Sargon can use this piece in the north to handle all his other problems. (laughs) Right. But Mania will still be troubled. Not too much because of the Orochians, but because of the Medes and the Manians. Wow. And that was Sargon's grand adventure.
0: All right. That's all for this episode. In our next episode, a Hitherto unknown force will change the political landscape of Mesopotamia. Oh, yes. Wow. That is far reaching. Yes. All right. Please consider visiting our YouTube page. It's Fan of History on YouTube. Like, subscribe, and share. It actually does help us out. Give us a review on iTunes. Tell us what you're thinking. We will read those reviews on the air. We're always looking forward to them. And also consider supporting us at patreon.com slash fan of history. If you like what we do, we need to reach that $30 tier and we can continue forward. And And I have Mm -hmm. uh, something
2: about YouTube. I am trying uh, something new on YouTube uh, we have a new collaboration with another YouTube channel, and I can't say their name on this show because of our iTunes rating, but it's Interesting S-H-Some Vocal T. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, they have done a couple of historic videos, and we have adapted them for
0: Fan Histories. So, for this week, I am Brennan. And I'm Dan. And this has been the fan of history.
1: If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com fan of history.
0: Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks and see you next time.